0: Hello and welcome to the Filmpulse.net podcast. This is episode number 84. My name is Adam. Today with me we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing okay. Okay? I'm doing okay as well. Today we have a great show lined up. First we'll be speaking with director Dan Forer on his new film, Sampled This, which is currently playing in select cities and on VOD. Then we'll be going over some of what we've been watching before getting Ernie back on the show for a feature review of Insidious Chapter 2. And finally, we'll, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on Video On Demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's have a conversation with Dan For on his new documentary, Sample This. Dan, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with us. I want to first just ask how you came to this project of Sample This.
1: Well, I, I heard the, uh, the sort of the hit that they had, Bongo Rock, uh, on the radio when I was... Oh, about 13, and I was just curious about the band. You know, I went out and bought the 45, and, um, you know, there it was. And I wondered, oh, who, who is the incredible bongo band? And I guess the music never left me. Um, so I, I uh, did a little bit of investigation, and, and then I went and bought the album, and uh, they were just always in the back of my mind. But then in about 2005, there was an article in the New York Times uh, that kind of told the story. It, was a, it wasn't was a very long article, but it connected the band and Michael Wiener to the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. And uh, at that point, I just thought, you know what? There might be a film in this. And I started doing some research.
0: And how much how much time did it take you to research this?
1: Well, it's I started it in the summer of 2009. And uh, I, I spent about a year, and I've got about... I think 30 or 35,000 words of research material. Uh, so a good year before I started doing the first interviews.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So what I'm wondering is how how you came to piece all this together. Because as a huge fan of hip-hop myself, I thought I kind of knew the history inside and out. and But I really had no idea that something like this with the Robert Kennedy assassination and and the mob, and Hollywood, and the Charles Manson stuff, like, how all that kind of just came together. So I'm wondering, like, how did you come about, like, taking all these pieces and putting them together into, like, one kind of cohesive story?
1: Well, that was the challenge of the film. Um, You know, I found out all these things as I was going along, and it would have made an interesting film just following me along because of the fact that you know, I thought I had the story down and then there would be a new wrinkle and I would, it was like pulling on a thread, you know, and you just keep pulling on it and it unravels and it unravels and it, and it just keeps unraveling. And so it took me that long to sort of get to the point where I thought, okay, I really, um, you know, I, I've got the story down and and the thread to follow one of the issues was that really all the information about the incredible bongo band that was kind of out there on the net were from Wiener himself and in interviews that he'd given. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And unfortunately a lot of what he said turned out to be um, either embellished, you know, there was a few, uh, you know, half truths and, 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 things like that. And he really didn't tell the full story. And so, you know, and I think that's why, you know, when I interviewed uh, Questlove, I mean, he's an incredible fan of the group and of the of that record, and he thought he knew everything about it. And then I started telling him things, and his eyes got as big as saucers. <laughs>
0: that's actually really interesting, because in the film, you, you kind of explore the fact that Wiener would frequently embellish things, like he mentioned that the Beatles, uh, members of the Beatles, were part of the album and stuff like that, but there's really no evidence of that at all.
1: Well, I think what, what I learned about Wiener was there was always a kernel of truth to everything that he said, but he would spin it in such a way to make it a lot more glamorous and exciting than it really was, but, you know, isn't, isn't that Hollywood? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think as far as the Beatles connection, you know, my my sense of it is that I think there's a possibility... Because he was friends with Ringo and because Jim Gordon was involved, who at that time was sort of a a drumming god, that he may have brought Ringo into the studio when he was mixing and uh, played him the stuff and kind of did that and, and then spun that into that he actually played or participated in the recordings. Um, I mean, I was also told by more than one person that he had visited with John Lennon quite a few times in New York, and, you know, had he knew who he was, and or that Lennon knew who uh, Wiener was, and so, again, it, it's not, those claims are not completely groundless, but I just think, like everything else, Wiener exaggerated it and spun it for maximum publicity value, and, and uh, you know, so that's... That's, that's
0: kind of my take on it. Right. So for those that don't know, the, I think that the big, the big hit from the Incredible Bongo band was Apache. Now, you mentioned Bongo Rock, and that's actually my personal favorite of theirs. But Apache was the one that really exploded and was kind of embraced by the early days of hip-hop and, and helped create hip-hop as we know it now. So do you know how many songs use the apache sample do you know do you have a rough number because i know it's huge a
1: a couple of hundred at least and you know i think uh, the part that i find fascinating is that it continues to be used i mean you know it was created in 1973 and here we are 40 years later and i can tell you probably right now somewhere in a little studio somewhere somebody's fooling around in pro tools with the Apache break. And I think that's, that's pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, and I think that a lot of that probably is attributed to DJs, and you mentioned it in the film as well, when DJs started to make records that just contained breaks in order for other DJs to use for mixing and whatnot. And I think that that probably has a big part in it. And I, I have a feeling that there's a lot of DJs out there that are using breaks from Apache and don't even realize that it's breaks from Apache because it's on some other record that has just, you know, tons of breaks on it.
1: That's, that's absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons that I made the film because I, I think it's, it's an important part of music history and you know what it's, it would be nice if, if uh, people that used it um, had some idea where it came from.
0: So, the the individual band members they kind of all met success in doing doing other projects but as a as a whole as a, as one unit did they ever make any money from like selling the the rights to, to sample apache or any other other music
1: well i think as far as the musicians go they were session musicians and all of them played on dozens, and if in some cases, multiple dozens of hit records that are still played on radio stations and, and streamed online. And they got paid very, very well. You know, and they, if it was a union session, they would be getting all their pension and residuals, whatever they're entitled to. Um, but they certainly, beyond that, wouldn't have shared in any of it. But then neither did Michael Wiener, because back in the day, Nobody cleared samples. I mean, these, these, you know, and, and there's stuff out there today on iTunes that are owned by major record labels that have chunks of Apache in them. They never cleared the sample. And it wasn't until very, very recently that they even started paying for it. So, uh, you know, I think the, the tragedy of it is, is that back in the 80s, when, you know, hip-hop was, was using this, and, and in some cases, I mean, there are entire hip-hop tracks, that are based on nothing more than the apache like an apache sample mm-hmm. and 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 you know in some ways it's outrageous what what has happened to it um, and you know i ran into it myself in the film where some record company is you know demanding that i pay for publishing and all kinds of sync rights for what essentially was something that was stolen in the first place and <laughs> and and so it, it it you know to from having made the film um, uh, you know I, I but you see wiener was not aware of what was happening in the hip-hop world until probably the mid to late 90s he was oblivious he was in the in the book business and he didn't know what was going on and and to be fair back in the day it wasn't just apache that was being ripped off but all kinds of other tracks and and uh you know because there was really no no mechanism to deal with it whereas now um, you know you have to clear every last Second or st- or someone will sue you, and and uh, so that's that's what's changed.
0: Yeah, and and the other thing I guess to think about is the fact that back in the late seventies, early eighties, when sampling first came about, it wasn't a lot of these DJs. I don't think were making multi million dollar you know uh, paychecks from from doing this. It was mostly done at like block parties and things like that. I guess that it, it really started to become a an issue when you know big hip hop artists like you know Nas or somebody would be sampling a track and making millions of dollars from that track
1: yeah i but i think that it happened a lot sooner than the 90s i i think that um a lot of it in the mid to late 80s uh you know people were were making a fortune off of it and and like I say, it's not just Apache. It's all you know. There's a lot of other right. tracks, but but you know, hip hop played pretty fast and loose with with lifting other people's material. And like I say, there are examples of entire songs that are basically just a recut version of Apache, where there's absolutely nothing other than the Apache breaks sped up, slowed down, and chopped up. And and uh, so, but, but I mean, that's not really my you know, I, that's not what the film really was about. it It's just more to just let people know, hey, this is where it came from. And, and I think the Apache break came from a very unlikely source and from a very unlikely place. And, uh, I think that's what makes it a compelling film.
0: Now, what do you think about the, the state of hip hop today? Do you think that it's I mean, hip hop is is a genre that's been constantly evolving since you know its inception. Do you, do you think that we're that the genre is in a good place now?
1: Well, I think to me, hip hop is a lot like jazz, and and you know, that may sound strange, but you know, jazz always had a very it was always a big tent, and there were a lot of little different sort of subgenres in jazz, and some people would like some of them. And others, you know, you know, for example, Dixieland music is technically jazz, and you know, I can't stand it. I don't consider that jazz. And I think it's the same thing with hip hop. It's a very wide range of music that gets put under that banner. And I think it's like anything else. I think it it will keep evolving and changing. But you know, as far as where it's at, um, you know, in two thousand and thirteen, I'm probably not the best person to ask. Uh, But I I do think it's a legitimate genre, and I think it's going to be with us indefinitely.
0: So I have one final question. Of the four elements of hip-hop, so five if you consider beatboxing, which, which of the elements do you consider to be the most important, A? And B, what is your personal favorite?
1: My personal favorite in terms of the bongo band?
0: uh just just all the the general elements of hip hop so like b-boying mc um um I, graffiti dj
1: yeah i mean I, I really i think it's really hard to to separate one and say that it's more important than the other i think the the sum of all the pieces is greater than the individual pieces right it you know it's like mm-hmm. 1 plus 1 plus 1 doesn't equal 3 or 4 it equals 6 or 7 so i think you know in hip hop it was strength in numbers, and all those different elements made hip-hop much stronger than any one of them on their own. I mean, for me, I think the most important would probably be the sort of the, the, the MC rap part of it, because it made social commentary, right? It, it, it talked about political things and made people think about things, and so I guess for me that would be the most important if I had to pick something.
0: Uh, Let's do some quick plugging. So, again, the film is Sample This. It is playing in select cities now, is that correct?
1: Yeah, we're in uh, 15 cities, uh, New York, uh, L.A., uh, Chicago, Philadelphia, Washington. Um, It's all, you can find that information at uh, samplethismovie.com.
0: And it's also, is it playing on demand as well?
1: It's on on demand. It's, uh, so, you know, look on, and then, uh, Voodoo, uh, Amazon, and of course iTunes, and uh, you can you know also find us on Twitter. Uh, same thing, sample this movie, and uh, on Facebook.
0: All right, well, Dan, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us. Uh,
1: thanks very much for having me on.
0: Thanks again, Dan. Be sure to check out Sample This, playing now in theaters and video on demand. Let's talk about some of what we've been watching, Kevin. I think we'll start it off with you this week.
2: All right. Well, I started off with. Danger diabolic, yes. Finally got to see this bad boy, uh, and my God, was it tons of fun! Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous amounts of fun. Diabolic is a huge asshole. Yep, he's just a dick. Yep, but he's incredibly cool. He's like the coolest dick ever.
0: I I just love how he doesn't. He just does. He just
2: steals to mess with people. Yeah, or, or it's all for his girlfriend. Yeah. It's all for his girl. She's just like, I want an emerald necklace. And he's like, all right, I'll go steal it. You know, <laughs> Love, at the beginning, he steals, what, did, what was it, like $10 million in cash. Mm-hmm. Steals it. An at, at unbelievably filmed scene at the at the port, which is just amazing the way that they did it. The whole opening and then into the port sequence was just fantastic. So he takes the money. And I love how he takes it back, and, he, you know, his lair is just ridiculous. I don't even yeah. know. Like, <laughs> how, how, the, how the hell did that happen? Who built that for him? I don't know. And so he gets back at You know, he's he's going to put it in the safe or whatever. And I love how it just cuts, and they're like, he'll find it. He'll find something to do with the $10 million yeah. that we've never thought of. And you just see it, and then it cuts back to Diabolic, and he's like, You just know the light switch goes off in his head and then it cuts to him just throwing all ten million on the bed and just having just having sex with his girl. (laughs) Just a pile of ten million dollars. I love it.
0: I I think it's just and I love how when he steals the, the the emeralds or whatever, the way that he gets them out is he puts them in he turns them into bullets and shoots somebody
2: with them. (laughs)
0: <laughs> hey, come then, on
2: and then later goes to I don't know what it would be the morgue or uh, yeah. whatever the coroner's office or whatever <laughs> in disguise as an old man <laughs> as the guy as the guy uh, what's that called god damn it I can't think of that word what's that called when you have that done to your body autopsy? no they've incinerate it Oh, cremate. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> has him cremate the body, knocks the guy out, steals the emeralds. And I love the little sequence when he's like, he's still walking out in disguise with his cane and everything. And then just halfway through realizes that he doesn't need to do this anymore and just throws the cane away yeah. and just starts running.
0: <laughs> I just, I want, I wish that they made sequels to yes. this. Like, I, I want more of, of this. Just his crazy shenanigans
2: yeah i mean it's it's absolutely ridiculous what he does and there's really no point to any of yeah, it th- that's the best part the best <laughs> other, part <laughs> other than just being an asshole or a reason to make his girl happy that's it but i, I love just... it. he steals he steals what 20 tons of gold mm-hmm. <laughs> just steals it rips that shit off takes it back to his lair melts it down with his laser gun And then has a whole setup to shoot, to hose it up and to shoot the gold into molds. Mm -hmm. And I love his little outfit for it. Yeah. (laughs) His his girl, she's she's a little apprehensive of the suit. And he assures her that he could swim through the middle of the earth in this suit. Cut to him flipping down the little plastic face mask, which doesn't even cover his face. It doesn't hook in or anything. It just flaps it down. And there's a huge gap. So, he, I mean, he's going to die if he comes in contact with anything hot. But he doesn't. You thought that he did. You thought. And then he gives you a little wink. Yeah. Spoiler. But no, he totally dies. Because he, there's no way he's getting oxygen. I mean, what are they, they going to well, do? Well, apparently, if the suit <laughs> has so many gaps and holes in it, he probably has plenty of oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe.
0: Well, maybe his body turned
2: into gold.
0: Well, I guess, I guess as for people that haven't seen it, what happens is he, due to a mishap, he ends up getting encased in the gold himself. It's a, it's a
2: literal (laughs) golden shower. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he, and the gold hardens and he's basically like a living statue.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And he's stuck and he gives you the camera a little wink, but I mean, he's just left there. So. Well, I'm sure his girlfriend came back and. No, dude, she got arrested.
0: I know but she they probably she probably got out somewhere. No I like I like well, the the thing, think that
2: he just died. He's well, just in that cave still.
0: The thing about his girlfriend is she's not just kind of she's not just like the eye candy. She actually does stuff in the movie too. So True. true. She she's
2: kind of a badass too. I just lo- and I also love the sequence when he, you know he has to go to the 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 gangsters, the crime syndicate and they're in their the jet plane because they stole his mm-hmm. girl and they, you know they open up the the doors to drop him out of, and they're just like standing beside him, and I'm like, "Oh, that's you guys are idiots." He's just gonna grab you, yeah, and he does. He's just gonna, he's just gonna throw you guys out, and he does. Ah, oh, diabolical dick,
0: but yep. a cool dick. I I love the um, I just I love Mario Bava's cinematography and his colors that he uses in his movies. Yes, I, the, I, just I thought every everything looks so good in that
2: movie i just love it it does plus uh you know, the score is just oh yeah it's it's perfect Morcone is a fucking master absolutely loved it it's good times highly recommend that it's just a fun entertainment film yeah but, surpri- yeah. but like you said surprisingly there's not a lot of good camera work in it yeah yeah it is <clears throat> Uh, and then I watched 1948's *The Naked City* by Jules Dassin, which, if you recall, we talked about this sort of.
0: I was going to ask if it's related to the the TV yeah. show.
2: <clears throat> the TV show was inspired by this film because the TV show ran from uh, 58 to 63. This came out in 48, so this is when we were talking about that uh, documentary that you saw, casting by, mm-hmm. where you know everyone got their start. So. I checked this out and this is, it's odd because on one hand it's essentially a, a documentary, just like a slice of life in New York city. Everything's filmed in New York city. They actually use a lot of like hidden cameras, like a lot of stuff for like the street scenes. Mm. They had a van with cameras in it set up and they would just, you know, drive around the city and sort of capture people on film <clears throat> so they have all that going on it's sort of like a city symphony film just in the lives of new yorkers at the time but then like nestled inside of that is a detective story so they sort of merge the two together and it's the detective story is what you know it's 1948 so it's a little it's a little hammy and cheesy because that's just how the way things were done at that time i mean it's it's enjoyable enough it's entertaining enough and it does there is a really uh, the performance from uh, Barry Fitzgerald as the uh, the detective lieutenant Dan Muldoon he was a pretty funny guy it uh, it also features the dumbest criminal i think i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> they bring this guy in, and he just lies constantly like every word out of out of his mouth is a lie and <laughs> they check they you know of course detectives they fact-check all the things that he's saying and just like as soon as he says it they're like yeah that's not that's not true and then they tell you know what's the truth and then he follows it up with another lie and then there's another detective there it's just like yeah that's not true and he just does it the entire movie he doesn't learn to stop lying until well towards the end of the film and it's just it's hilarious just the mess that he gets himself into but um, the number one thing about this film is the cinematography. The black and white cinematography of New York City is just absolutely stunning. I mean, the aerial shot at the beginning are probably some of the best aerial shots I've ever seen. Um, the, there's a scene towards the end where they're chasing the one criminal on the Williamsburg uh, Bridge, mm-hmm. and he climbs up the bridge, to, you know, to elude the police officers. And I don't know how. Uh, William Daniels was able to do this, but he gets a lot of just absolutely gorgeous camera shots from high up on the bridge from the criminal's perspective, looking down at the police, which was just absolutely amazing. But the one thing that is extremely detrimental to this film, which is sort of a bummer, is the narration is just obnoxious and irritating the shit. And it's from the film's producer. He He provides the narration. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this film was sort of like his love letter to New York is that he wanted to make this so bad. And it's, I, I feel bad saying that that was the absolute worst part, but he provides so much unnecessary narration that it just becomes extremely irritating. I mean, he's just, he's filling in like just the random New Yorkers that they capture. Like he fills in their thoughts with his narration. And there's a sequence where the cops are going around with a picture of the criminal that they're looking for and showing it to people. And I mean, they do like 14, 15 scenes of this where it's just, you know, one of the detectives showing a picture to random New Yorkers. And the narration is honestly every single scene. He just goes, have you seen this man? <laughs> I'm sc- I'm sorry. Excuse me. Have you seen this man? And it's like, do you really need to be doing that? Like, I know what they're doing. You're just you're annoying. But I highly recommend it. It's pretty unbelievable, especially from a camera work angle.
0: Yeah, it sounds like this is something that I would probably like a lot.
2: Yeah, I think you would be really into it. Oh, my next movie was a little uh, mystery crime thriller type deal called The Silence.
0: I've wanted to see this. I just haven't got around to it, but I've, 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 I've been interested in this
2: one. I've been interested in this one for a while now, too. Finally got to see it. Uh, this actually came out in like 2010, but just got released on DVD here in the States uh, not too long ago. I think it was just a couple of months back. Yeah, it was pretty recently. Yeah, it's it's about uh, like two friends that are pedos that uh, the one kills and rapes a girl. Her rapes and kills a girl. And then 23 years later, decides to stage the same exact crime scene sort of as a message to his partner that after the first crime was committed, just disappeared, just got the hell out of there. 23 years later, he tried, He decides to send him a message, see if they can reunite. And it's, it's pretty damn formulaic. I mean, mm. you have... Of course, you have the cop that was on the original case, who is now just retiring, uh, and of course that case ruined his marriage, and it was you know that tip atyp- or that typical you know case that forever haunts him that he couldn't right. catch the killer, just couldn't do it. And then you have the new guy that's on the case, who of course just lost his wife. He's completely grief stricken, and he's just like an absolute mess emotionally and he actually the I mean he's a very bizarre character almost a parody it's a bit ridiculous how over the top he is and there's just so much going on here that so you know fits the formula of these films but he the director Boran Bo Odard just jam packs so much in here that nothing really feels developed at all he just lightly touches on all these different uh topics you know loss guilt grief all those things and was this sorry to interrupt was this the one that was
0: kind of i think it was this one i saw the trailer it made it seem like it was kind of a almost a dark comedy is that this one
2: i don't know if that's this one if 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 it's the trailer that you're speaking of there's not much comedy in it at least i didn't think so unless i just don't Find those things to be funny. I don't, th- I don't think uh, they were probably
0: ready. not. Then maybe it was
2: maybe it was something different. And the other thing that sort of bothered me is the, the director and the cinematographer. Their use of slow motion was just excessive, just entirely too often and too much for too long. And it's I, you get the sense that that was the only way that they knew how to film drama. You know. Oh, we need this scene to be powerful. How can we do it? Oh, I know slow motion. Let's do it in slow motion, like every other scene is in slow motion, and it's just after a while you're like, "Oh, fucking knock it off already now, on the other hand, they do a lot of gorgeous overhead shots, which you don't really see too often anymore. No, not a lot and it's it they they nicely paste those they just they sprinkled those throughout, and they worked really well it's just there's just so much dramatic slow motion you know supposedly you know powerful sequences that just came off as like you don't know what you're doing and just all of it was extremely underdeveloped uh but the the ending a little bit different i'm not going to spoil it because i I, I
0: probably am going to watch it is
2: it's it's still like a very light recommendation i mean I like a lot of the stuff that they did in this film, and I'm definitely excited for more films from this director. But there's, there's just too much going on, and not enough of it is developed at all. Hmm. And it's just—I mean—the the story itself is—you've seen it numerous times before. It's your typical crime thriller mystery, sort of lackluster, but some nice camera work in there. And then I watched an absolute masterpiece. Which was quite nice. I watched a 10 out of 10. Watched a little samurai movie called Harakiri. Oh yeah. You need to see this fucking movie. I cannot highly recommend this enough. From 1962, uh, Kobayashi's Harakiri starring the master, Tatsuya Nakada. This guy is insane. He's so damn good. And he's incredible in this film. Much like another one that you have to see is the Sword of Doom. You should mm-hmm. see double build those. See the Sword of Doom, and then see Harakiri, and just have one of the best days of your life, because hmm. it's gonna knock your fucking socks off. I can tell you this now. Now this <clears throat> is an unbelievably perfectly constructed story of revenge. That it's such perfectly paced. I that I was. Honestly, I'm on the edge of my seat the entire time. Like, my face was beaming with excitement, just waiting to find out what the hell happens. And almost the entire film is just discussion, just talking. Um, Nagada comes to the house, whatever you want to call it. I forget what the hell they're called. But it's where the clan is, and he wants to perform Harakuri, which is, you know, disemboweling yourself. Mm -hmm. He wants to do it in their courtyard. The guy that's in charge... Sort of recounts the story that someone just did this, you know, a couple weeks ago. Came in, wanted to do it. And there's been a rash of these happening over the last couple of years where people come in, they want to do the Harakuri. They show such great resolve that they actually are taken in and given employment or they're given some money to just go away. Just get out of here. We don't want people performing Harakuri all the time. So this house decides that they're not going to be like that. they got to show Backbone and they got to force this guy to permit to perform Harakiri. So he gives that story, and then Nakada is like, you know, I'm I'm actually here to permit Harakiri. I'm going to do it. And then he starts to recount his story, and just the way that it plays out, apparently, you know, the first guy that came and did that and they forced to do the act was indeed married to uh, Nakada's daughter, and he's not really there to perform Harakiri. He's there to fucking kill everyone. Hmm. And just the way that it plays out, and like the final scenes are just—it's unbelievable. It's so good. I can't say it enough. I can't highly recommend it enough. This movie is unbelievable, and it's a shame that it took me this long to see it. Well, there's there's so many I know of these I know that I have
0: not seen that are on my list of shame. Like just just a ton. Like I've never seen Yo, Jimbo. Uh, I don't think I've seen Hidden
2: Fortress. I'm, there's just so many. There's, yeah, there's a lot, but I, I'm telling you, this one has to be one of them. Just the the way that it's constructed, the way that everything unfolds, is just brilliant. Now, they how did you of, watch this? I watched this on uh, Hulu, because okay. I have Hulu Plus, so I was able to watch it there. I don't know if you can watch it for free on Hulu, but I mean, it's unbelievable. They sort of do um, the Rashomon style, where mm-hmm. it's like it's told through a series of flashbacks, and they sort of unveil the reasonings behind what's going on, and just sort of unearth everything slowly. And just it, the, his the style of revenge that Nakada unleashes is perfect. I mean, I just I lost my shit. I haven't lost my shit in a movie in a long time. I just—I just, like I—I I, I had so much damn fun watching this film. It was unbelievable. Like I'm saying you got to do double feature this and the Sword of Doom because they both feature Nakada as like a crazy badass, and you will not be disappointed. I assure you. Uh, this
0: week—that's—that's that's all you had. That's all I had. Okay. Uh, this week I started off with the Iceman, which is the. Uh, that one that that just came out recently with uh, Michael Shannon, no, was I was the...
2: interested in seeing this as well. I
0: liked it. It wasn't like anything mind blowing it was kind of a typical biopic, but it it was still pretty interesting. I liked a lot of characters that were kind of against type, like David Schwimmer was in this, yes, and he plays he plays this like really sleazy scumbag like mob guy
2: you said david schwimmer
0: right i did say david schwimmer are you sure yep
2: yep huh.
0: definitely against type for him and chris evans plays another hitman uh who was he was pretty cool too his character uh ray Liotta's in it plays your he is definitely not cast against oh type. i was gonna say <laughs> yeah he uh he plays a mob guy no are you serious Mm-hmm. Is that
2: mm-hmm. I wonder if that's the only work he can get nowadays. It is.
0: seems like it. That's unfortunate. Def- definitely seems like it. Uh Winona Ryder because he does it so perfectly. I know. You know? He's it's just, he's
2: gotta start saying no. But I guess he's got bills to pay
0: Yeah. Winona Ryder's in it. She plays the the wife of Richard
2: Kuklinski Kuklinski.
0: Yeah. She does a good job. I, I wanna see more of her. I, I really like Winona Ryder. I just wish she was in more stuff.
2: Yeah, I thought she was making a comeback there for a little bit. She, she, I
0: think she is making kind of a comeback, because I think that she's in something else that I saw a trailer for recently. Hmm. I can't remember what, but I know that I saw a trailer for something.
2: She but... was in it. The... Well, yeah,
0: Stephen Dorff. In... Stephen Dorff is in it, too.
2: She was in the Homefront.
0: Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's right. Homefront. Well, with James Franco. and But either way, I mean, it wasn't anything great, but... I was still entertained by it, and it was just kind of crazy to to think that this is, like, a true story. Like, this guy yeah, really did kill, like, hundreds of people. He sure did. But, and then I followed that up with Bronies, the extremely unexpected adult fans of My Little Pony.
2: How did this go?
0: Uh, it was interesting. I mean, I, this was kind of a curiosity watch. Like, I just... Okay. we We talked about this last week, and I just had to see... What do you, for myself, what this was all about, are you, and try to understand it. Are you missing anything? I understand it more now. I do. Is there something I think it's that you're kind, missing? It, I think that it's kind of a. It's kind of interesting to watch because you can start to piece together the type of people that like that show, and essentially, most of the people that do that like My Little Pony, the guys that like it, they they actually are missing something in their lives, and. I think that it's it's kind of interesting. It's almost like a character study that looks at who these people are and why they like this show that's essentially for little girls. Hmm. But I I enjoyed it. It was fairly interesting. I mean it's a light watch, obviously, but doesn't mean I'm gonna start watching my little pony. Nah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you queued up all of gotta, then, yeah. gotta start yeah, yeah, that's right. I have them all on my Netflix queue.
2: You're watching them right now, aren't you?
0: But I think it's interesting because there's like so many people that just immediately dismiss these these guys as either being like nerds or perverts or, you know, something like that. And it's really not the case. And I think that this movie does a good job of showing people why they like this show and that, you know, they're not weirdos.
2: So why
0: are, I mean they're they're kind of weird I guess
2: but no they they're definitely not like what why do they like the show
0: well I think that there's there's different reasons it seems like the trend is it's guys that kind of feel lost in the world like uh like the one character is extremely antisocial he has Asperger's and he just has this inability to communicate with others and he's, he feels really awkward in social situations and stuff and he can't really relate to anybody. But when he watches the show, there's uh specific characters in the show that he can closely relate to. And that kind of makes him feel better. And that seems to be the case with a lot of the, of the people that they talk to in the film where it's all, it's always people that are kind of outsiders uh but but it's really interesting, like the one the one guy that they talk to is from like North Carolina or something, and he's like in this big redneck town and but he's like into my little pony.
2: Huh. Maybe they're not so weird.
0: I think that it's just people that are looking for something and the other kind of interesting thing that they talk talk about is the fact that the show is kind of about acceptance and friendship and happiness and joy and these are all things that we don't have a lot of these days you know with the constant wars that are happening and the economic downturn and everything is just looking so grim so my little pony my
2: little pony's here to, to save the day
0: I don't think it was meant to do that. I mean, they in the film they talked to the the show's creator, and she was like, "Yeah, I was making it for little girls it There was this odd byproduct that came about because of it
2: but there's a lot of stuff out there that's just happy fun acceptance that doesn't involve yeah, little but, ponies but with see, rainbows,
0: yeah, but if you see this show, it's like the ext- its takes that to the extreme to extreme. Like, it's so saccharine. Like, I just... I can't... I mean, it's not my thing, but, you know. Whatever. <laughs> uh Then I saw, obviously, sample this. And we, we briefly got into it a little bit in the interview. And I like the film. But I just kind of wish that, that he explored a little bit more the actual topic of sampling. And the effect of sampling on the industry. And maybe got some feedback from the incredible bongo band members on their thoughts on the practice <coughs> of sampling mm-hmm. uh, because he he touches on it in the film but they don't really get into it that deeply and i understand that it's that the movie's more about the incredible bongo band and how they came together and basically helped create hip hop but i would also like to know about the concept of sampling and how they feel about it. Yeah. But I, I'd still definitely recommend it, especially if you're into hip-hop, like old-school hip-hop. And In fact, if you're into hip-hop and you don't know the history behind it, I would say watch this because I think anybody that's into that genre needs to know the history behind it. Agree. Uh, then I saw my Grindhouse Weekly feature called Screwballs. Screwballs. I believe this was my first uh, Canuxploitation film. Exploitation from Canada. Oh, yeah. This is basically a goofball sex comedy that took... Well, it it, it was made in the 80s. It came out in 83, but it took place in the 60s. However, there's like a lot of inconsistencies with the time period. Like, there's a scene where they go to a drive-in, and it's a... uh, I can't remember which one, but it's a uh, Pam Greer movie that's playing that clearly came out in the seventies. So it's not very consistent, but the movie itself is horrible. It is absolutely horrible. Like it's just about the, this group of guys that are just constantly, constantly trying to come up with ways to see girls naked or possibly get laid. Gotcha. And It's not like Porky's where there is that element, but there's, like, other stuff. Like, this movie's just scene after scene of them trying to do something. Like, they'll bury themselves in the sand and try to, like, get this girl to lay lay on the beach and take her top off. Or, like, at the end of the movie, they built this giant electromagnet. And then they sewed metal filings into a girl's uh, homecoming dress to rip it off. Sure. There's a scene. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the film was they. <laughs> the school built a an airplane repair shop. Okay, <laughs> that makes <laughs> complete sense.
2: I'm with
0: you. I'm still with. And you. and during the like ribbon cutting of the airplane repair shop, they have this kind of gala. And one of the one of the guys accidentally dumps an entire bottle of Spanish Fly into the punch bowl. Oh, I hate when
2: it but happens. But my
0: favorite my favorite part of the entire scene was the fact that the high school built an airplane repair shop. <laughs> I mean, it didn't make any sense <sighs> whatsoever. I didn't understand it at all. But it's it's pretty bad. I mean, they use like fast motion scenes, like Benny Hill style. Nice. It's Do they use the Benny Hill music? No, they don't, but it's they use really bad eighties music.
2: Actually no, I even think better.
0: I think in that one they did use like older music, but even better. I also watched loose screws screwballs too.
2: Why did you do that?
0: Well, when I when I do when I write those articles, oh, I that's usually right. watch them
2: for a little bit of
0: Yeah. I watch everything in the series just because I don't want to miss anything. Did you miss miss anything? No. (laughs) Loose Screws is basically a remake of the first one. It's the exact same, but it takes place in the 80s. And instead of, like, there is this kind of through line in the first one where they're trying to compete with each other to see who can see this one girl naked first. Like, basically the school that they're at, which is called TNA High School, Every girl in this school is apparently a huge slut. Like every single girl, and there's one virgin that goes to the school and she's like this like super preppy like church church going girl G- and they're trying Yeah, like the whole the whole movie they're trying to either you know sneak their way into her pants or see her naked. And in the sequel, it's a the five main guys get expelled from their school and gets sent to this other school and there's like this super hot french teacher that they're trying to make it with
2: oh so apparently it's the new school called coxwell academy
0: yeah yes it is classy it's this this sequel is even worse than the original it's just absolutely terrible great but yeah so i would i would probably skip those there's a lot of movies like this, there was a ton of movies like this that came out in the 80s and there's a lot, I mean even like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, like just watch that because it's infinitely better than Screwballs (laughs) Uh, then I saw Crystal Fairy which is uh, the that's the, I don't know, the first or second movie with Michael Cera and Sebastian Silva that came out Yeah, I guess they did them both at the same time this and Magic Magic I liked Magic Magic. I didn't like this one so much. The It was just kind of a manila folder, this one, mm. where nothing really happened. It's basically about a group of people in Chile that decide to get this, um, what's it called? Uh, the San Pedro cactus and go out into the desert and take it. And the San Pedro cactus, I guess, is one of the main ingredients of mescaline or something. Okay. And they, I guess it causes hallucinations and stuff like that. And along the way, they end up picking up Gabby Hoffman and taking her. And she's she's a free spirit, I would say. Free spirit. Her name is Crystal Fairy, Of course. And she's she's kind of a goofball and... She's like super annoying and they, she gets on their nerves, but then they end up really liking her and it's just kind of pointless. Does she like
2: teach them how to live life?
0: Sort of. Yeah. It's good to know. I guess. It, <laughs> it doesn't, it just doesn't go anywhere. It's just kind of pointless. It's, they just go out into the desert and trip and.
2: It sounds boring as shit.
0: It's not that funny. Like there are a couple funny parts, but it's just not that. I mean, Michael Sarah plays a super asshole sort sort of an asshole in it, which he apparently is really good at playing that type of character.
2: He does play a really good asshole
0: and and that's the thing about this movie. The performances by Michael Sarah and Gabby Hoffman are really good, I mean like really, really good, but the, there's just not a lot of substance to the movie there's There's also one scene near towards the end of the film where. After they take the, the San Pedro, they, they start, like, tripping. And Gabby Hoffman, she's naked, like, 90% of this movie. Like, completely full frontal naked. Mm-hmm. And she takes off all her clothes, and she's just, like, wandering around in the desert. She gets lost. And some guy comes and picks her up and takes her back to the camp. But whoever they got to be this guy is the worst actor in the entire world. I don't understand why they got this guy because he is so bad like it instantly pulled me out of the movie wow and you know acting is never really something that that bothers me too much but yeah so it's it's not really i can't really recommend it mm. i do recommend magic magic the other one
2: okay mm-hmm. Uh
0: then i saw computer beach party
2: this sounds like the greatest film ever made
0: i know i know i don't know if i'm gonna use this as next week's grindhouse weekly because it's similar to screwballs but this movie is it's definitely so bad it's good Nice. it is unbelievably horrendous like there's this really bad dubbing that happens throughout but basically it's just cashing in on the teen sex comedies of the 80's along with the you know popularization of personal computers (laughs) and then we have computer beach party Wow, from nineteen eighty-seven. I, it, it's just probably you could probably find YouTube videos of it, and I would just recommend watching some YouTube videos because it's just it's so ridiculous.
2: Computer beach party. Yeah.
0: From, oh yeah. From
2: Gary Troy. Yep.
0: It's it's something. If you if you love bad eighties comedies, this is this is it. Uh, I mean, there's this like there's this like really terrible eighties rock playing throughout the entire movie and then there's a there's a big party scene that has the band in it and then it's it's just so bad and they like sing to the camera it like turns into a music video it's it's horrendous absolutely horrendous
1: <sighs>
0: uh, and then finally I saw Brooklyn Castle which is a documentary about this middle school in Brooklyn where they have basically the world's best uh like kid chess players
2: okay
0: it's like one of the it's a public it's a public school it's uh IS 318 in Brooklyn and for like more than a decade they are just constantly winning every tournament that they enter and an interesting fact is uh Albert Einstein when he when he played chess he was rated like in 1800 or something like that in chess. If he were to join the team at this middle school, he'd only be ranked fifth. These kids are like chess prodigies. It's crazy. Nice. And I'm not not into chess, really. So it's saying something that I was like completely into this movie the entire way through. I thought it was so interesting. The kids were really likable and endearing and you just were rooting for them the entire time and it kind of it's interesting because the the film starts before the whole collapse of the economy Mm -hmm. and they're going to they go to i think three trips throughout the the school year in addition to having this like really big after school chess program and after the economic crash the school begins getting these crazy budget cuts Mm -hmm. and it's that that adds this whole aspect of the film a whole new aspect where they're 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 trying to keep their funding for the chess program they're trying to be able to still take the kids on these trips around the country and stuff and it's it's very interesting and i i didn't know this but in new york you actually have to test into high school Like, you have to, if you want to go to a good high school, you have to take an admissions test, which I didn't know that. Like, there's, because there's so many kids, and there's certain public high schools that are considered, like, the top-level public high schools. And if you want to get into one of these top-level public high schools, you have to take this, like, entrance exam and get admitted.
2: How about that?
0: Which, you know, that that's extremely stressful for a middle school kid. You know, this is an eight, these are kids in eighth grade that we're talking about, but it's, thank God we
2: we didn't live in New York.
0: Yeah. We would have been screwed. Oh yes, we would have been screwed. (laughs) (laughs) We would have been really screwed, but, but either way, I definitely recommend checking this out. It's, it's very, very good. And you know, every time I think that I'm, completely burned out on documentaries. Something comes along like this and I'm just like, "Oh, that's that's incredible." Nice. Yeah, it's it's really good. And the crazy thing is these kids are so fucking good at chess. Like it's amazing. <laughs> like the one kid, he's in 6th grade and he's ranked a master in chess. Wow. I mean, that's that's incredible. Wow. So, Brooklyn Castle, check it out. That's all I got. Oh, one one thing that I do want to add. I didn't watch it yet, but I just got Repo Man on Blu-ray this week. Uh, The Criterion Blu-ray. So I'm going to watch that today. Pretty excited. Let's talk about Insidious Chapter 2. Ernie, thanks so much for coming back on the show. No problem. How you doing? I'm
3: doing good. How are you?
0: Doing pretty good. So Insidious Chapter 2 is directed by James Wan. It's written by James Wan and Lee Wanell. The synopsis states... The haunted Lambert family seeks to uncover the mysterious childhood secret that has left them dangerously connected to the spirit world. The film stars Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, uh, Lynn Shea, Barbara Hershey, uh, Lee Wanell is also in it, and Angus Sampson. Now, I have a review for this up on the site, so I guess we'll start with you, Ernie. What did you think of Insidious Chapter 2?
3: Well... Not being a fan of the first, I wasn't expecting much from this one. And I kind kind of liked it a little bit more than the first, but there are so many plot holes in this one that I couldn't get past that. Mm. And coming off The Conjuring, this is like a step backwards for uh, James Wan.
0: I think that most people will agree with that, that it is definitely a step backwards. I love The Conjuring. But see, I, I really liked the first Insidious. I was a big fan of the first Insidious. I was not a big fan of this one, however. I think that the, the first act was pretty much an exact retread of everything that we've seen before. And I didn't think mm. that it was a, as effective. I didn't find it to be as scary than right. in something like The Conjuring or even the first Insidious. And I just found that, that whole first third to be pretty dull. And kinda of laughable. But I
3: gotta, I ran into a problem where because I haven't seen the first one since I first saw it in theaters. I guess that was last year it came out or was think, it two years ago?
0: I think it was two years ago.
3: Okay, so I haven't none of this was fresh in my mind and it took me a long time to catch up hmm. to what was going on here. And I think it is like something, was it Lynn Shea got possessed or something? I was like, oh, wait, she got killed. Oh, it was Patrick Wilson who got possessed, and I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm confused. It's like, oh, there's something he left behind, something? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I forgot all that, and that was like maybe 45 minutes into the movie before I realized it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that the whole, and then, of course, they had that beginning part with Rose Byrne being... Interrogated by the police, that was sort of like the expository section that let us know what happened in the first one, or at least bits of what happened in the first one. And I thought that, that was kind of lazy, mm-hmm. and I just didn't, I just didn't like it. I for the first third, and then when the second act started and they introduced a really big twist, I thought that that was really interesting. And right. it it did kind of. Devaluate the events of the first one, which I think that some people may have a big problem with. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I I like
3: explaining too much of the mystery. It's like
0: right, but I I thought it was actually really cool what they did with it, and I thought that it was something different. You know, like in my review, I point out that when they were making this movie, that it, it had to be a tough movie to make because. They want you want to make it different enough so that it's not the exact same movie again. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you want to at least kind of keep within the same um universe that the first one was set in, but you don't want to stray too too far from the source material because then people, you know, the audience will complain that it's completely different and not scary and and I think it was really tough to put this together unfortunately it was like they kind of they did a rehash of a lot of what we've seen before with a lot of jump scares and just kind of random creepiness but then they also tried to introduce this kind of new concept with patrick wilson being possessed and it almost turned into like almost like a slasher film of sorts where he's like coming after the family and i didn't I didn't think that it worked in the third act either. It was really just the, the middle part of the movie that I liked yeah uh, there
3: there are, there are elements that where they tried to tie it into the first, of course, most of the stuff that they referenced in the first one I didn't remember, so I'm like, oh, that must have been for the first movie okay. yeah, I mean they I, I vaguely remember that part,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean they <laughs> lift they lift like scenes from the first one and put it into this one, yeah. and I liked that. I thought it was really cool, actually but the,
3: the the whole tie-in with uh, the explanations about the spirits and just the whole arc of that was for me it started getting unintentionally funny
0: oh yeah and, well, and then
3: the way things were unfolding with the uh, with the friend with the dice and one scene in particular i'm like <laughs> uh, involving the dice it's like um, i'm not i don't think i'll be spoiling much but basically there are two three people involved one person is in a house and the other two are listening in and they're trying to figure out what's going on with Patrick Wilson's character and he checks the dice. Now the guy sees it, but the other two guys react as though they know what it said. I'm like but he didn't verbalize what it said. <laughs> so how would they know to react?
0: <laughs> I was I was hoping like, that he was I was hoping that he was gonna yell out the safe word, the yeah, quesadilla. <laughs> yeah,
3: but that didn't that didn't happen. I'm like thinking, was like, wait, he didn't say anything. How do they know something's wrong? But then the way that whole thing just unfolded was just like uh, straight out of the Keystone Cops comedy, but i like, like, uh, so.
0: Well, that see, Lee Wanell and Angus Sampson's characters—they they were in the first one too. They were the the paranormal investigators that worked with Lynn Shay. And they Shea.
3: were my my least favorite part of the first movie.
0: They see, I actually liked them a lot in this one. I thought that they added some much-needed actual com- like comedic relief. I thought that a lot of the scares and the supposedly like really creepy stuff was uh funny but it wasn't supposed to be like
3: i yeah, felt like the comic relief in the first one was out of place it didn't need comic relief i guess it didn't really i guess it kind of worked in this one but. well they
0: were they were definitely more goofy in this one and i feel like that they were they played more prominent roles in this one and obviously i'm i'm not going to give away the end but i i don't think it's a big spoiler in saying that they're going to be the central part of the next film, and the way that the film ended that was problematic for me as well because they give you this. So the film ends, and then they give you basically a teaser of what the mm. third what the third one's going to be, and it's a completely separate story and everything. The only tie in is the Lee Wanell, Angus Sampson, Lynn Shea character characters, but. I realized when I saw that little just that little teaser at the very end mm-hmm. that that concept seems way more interesting to me than the entire movie that I just watched. And
3: yeah, I got a little confused at the end cuz there's a a significant plot point that comes up at about around, around the third act, a, a major discovery that they came across that is never really addressed throughout the rest of the movie it's pretty significant in terms of reality of what what should have gone down and i thought that was tying in there where they're actually talking to people family members involved mm-hmm. and i thought they were going like visiting the people and saying like hey we got we got a message for you from right from so and so i was thinking oh they're going to be tying up the loose ends and like no this is something completely different i'm like yeah. wait a minute how's it go like, I thought they were talking about a dead girl, and then, nope, there's a debilitated girl sitting in a wheelchair. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm confused. And I'm like, oh, there's something else. So, they're not going to address that whole thing. I'm like, okay, that was stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it was kind of, it was just a mess, really. I mean, it was just, it was all over the place, and it's it's a real shame because, I mean, this comes out, what, two months after The Conjuring? hmm And the expectations for this were just so high. And it was just such a letdown, and I, I'm really hoping that if James Wan continues this series and The Conjuring, I know that The Conjuring's already been set up for the sequel. Like I think that yeah. that's already underway. Right. And And looking at the box office numbers, I'm sure that they're going uh, sure to be following following yeah. through with the third one on this this as well. But yeah. it felt played out. Like the whole thing just felt played out to me.
3: It was like uh, really, really trying to twist things around just to, uh, out of just to make it cool instead of it making sense. So, but um, but I would actually prefer that he stick with the conjuring stuff because there's a lot more interesting things to mine there than how they ended Insidious *City I would be like, hmm, whatever, had no yeah. desire to see the next one.
0: <laughs> well, if they go in, it, I mean, it looks like they're going to go in a completely different direction with the third one, and I like the idea of having. A a horror movie that has comedic elements, and it's just about, you know, two guys doing these, you know, investigations. I, well, I like I like that concept. It's been, 20,
3: it's been 20, 30 years since we saw it, but we could always use another Ghostbusters. So.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think, that, I think that that could be a cool idea, as long as they don't keep returning to the same well on it. I mean, got to come up with something new, because... Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it just it all feels played out. And that's the thing I'm worried about with the conjuring sequel is is it gonna feel played out? Because the the atmospheric jump scares and that type of thing, it's it's just starting to get old. I right. mean, thank God it's not found footage, even though there were a lot of scenes in this one that that uh oh, yeah, were yeah, with like was... handheld cameras and stuff like that which was like which actually reminds me like the whole time I'm like thinking to myself because first they go to an abandoned hospital for some reason Mm. and I'm like where is there an abandoned hospital that's like that has everything in it still and why are they at this abandoned hospital like just it just seems so ridiculous
3: there was the Linda Vista hospital out here in Los Angeles that I actually shot in and everything is still there (laughs) That's weird. files, everything you name it. Everything is just left there. We were like, right while we we're like uh, sitting around, we just rifle through old like, yeah, some of these files dated back to the '60s.
0: <laughs> it's crazy, but it it seemed like it was just an excuse to get them to into a creepy place, and then
1: yeah.
0: directly after that, they go to an abandoned house that still has everything in it, mm. and you know, it just seemed like they were fishing for creepy places. To right. have different scenes, and I just really wasn't wasn't buying into that.
3: Mm-hmm. And yeah, you... also the uh, the fact that it's a PG thirteen supernatural ghost story movie. I mean, after The Conjuring, it's like that's what you want, and then instead of this watered down stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they can do PG thirteen right. I mean, uh, the first Insidious was PG thirteen. Drag Me to Hell was PG thirteen, and I, I thought that Drag mm-hmm. Me to Hell was fantastic. Yeah, I wasn't so, too
3: big on that one either. And I love Ramy. <laughs> so, I think that
0: they can do PG thirteen right, but I just found the the scares in this to be so goofy. Like,
3: I just they're, yeah, they're pretty standard. I mean, especially with the the title card and just going in with the title Insidious and the super freaking loud
0: soundtrack. Yeah, like,
3: I like. Them. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Like, you can turn it down now. <laughs>
0: I like that. I mean, I, I'm fine with that. They did that and dragged Me to Hell, too. And the first Insidious. But I'm okay with that. But some of the stuff... I did find... I will say that there were a couple... A couple scares in it that, that freaked me out a little bit. Uh, I can't... I don't even know if I can remember them off the top of my head. the The scene... And what I found was that there were a few scares that initially worked but like kind of blew it in the end like uh, for instance the the scene where there was the spirit that was talking to the kid through the 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 phone the can phone thing
3: oh yeah yeah and
0: the string was like in the closet and was being pulled tight Mm -hmm. like that i thought that that was really creepy but then like when it was just a messed up looking girl that walked out yeah it just i don't know it didn't work for me and the other thing that i thought was weird about that was when the ghost or the spirit was initially started talking to him it was through the can but then all of a sudden like the voice changed and it sounded like it was in his head or something like that i just wanted just be consistent come on
3: yeah this said just thinking of it now as we're talking about it, it was like for some reason i just thought about poltergeist to the other side i'm like oh this is the other side
0: <laughs> pretty much that's that's, yeah. that's
3: where they're hanging out that's like uh it's like we gotta go in get Carol Ann, get her out of there nope i gotta go in and get my dad let me tie this can around me and like oh <laughs> hey yeah she's she, joe beth williams part and then uh then they got to go in there but and it felt the whole um introduction of uh, lynn Shea's character felt as cheesy as, I don't know if you remember Poltergeist 2 at all, as cheesy as when uh, Carol Ann's grandmother appeared in the ending. Yeah, I, I remember, remember like, oh, jeez, that's so cheesy.
0: Yeah, there it <laughs> was pretty cheesy. Well, I do want to talk about some spoilers, because uh, that, that twist, I, I want to just discuss that. So let's go ahead and jump into some spoilers for Insidious Chapter 2 you haven't seen the film yet make sure you fast forward through this part we'll be sure to have the time code in the show notes so we are in a spoiler section now i just want to talk about the the fact that apparently when you're in the further you can time travel and mm, it, it didn't right. make it didn't really make any sense to me at all i mean i guess what we're led to believe is that when you're in the the further it's
3: the uh no we don't call it the further anymore call it the nexus
0: When you're in the Nexus. That's
3: a a Star Trek uh, Generations reference where you're in a dreamlike state and you can go to any time you want.
0: (laughs) It's like, I guess, when you're in the the afterlife or whatever, all time exists concurrently. So Mm. basically in the film, Patrick Wilson is stuck in the further and he somehow has the ability to go back in time to when he was a kid and also to go back into time During the first one. Right. In which it's revealed that it's actually Patrick Wilson that is causing a lot of the disturbances in the first film. Right. But it just doesn't make much sense to me. I think it's cool. I think it's a really cool idea. But. A lot of it doesn't make too much sense, especially when they reveal in the first one that it's like this demon that's causing all the problems. Like yeah, where... the
3: uh, the Darth Maul looking one. Yeah, <laughs> where
0: like where's this demon at when he goes back?
3: Right. In this right. one, I was totally expecting to see more of that. I was expecting him to be the villain, but then they were going back to the uh, the bride in black, or or I don't even remember if that's what she was called in the first one or not. <laughs> but I think that's what they called it in the second one. Uh, yeah, and I'll yeah, it's just strange how they're like, oh, it's like, oh, so he's he's actually there, and I'm like, it's not that like blow Einstein's uh, theory that you can't be in two places at once? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. It, it's, and then of course there's the the scene when they first reveal it where they do a freeze frame on the VHS tape and they see Patrick Wilson standing there beside his, the younger version of himself or behind him.
3: Yeah, that's another problem with the editing of that. I remember that shot, and you see Wilson, but then I saw someone on the far right of the frame, and I was like, "Oh, who's that?" Because I'm like, I don't remember anybody being on that side of the room. And then I guess it's supposed meant to be the mother was just hanging out over there. But I'm like, she, but she was like over there. Yeah, I don't know. She wouldn't have, would have been in frame. I'm like, who was that? I was like thinking it's like, oh, but there, that must be the spirit that that he's talking about. So, but I'm like, nope another state of confusion there.
0: I, I did think it was, I thought it was cool, but I, I feel like it kind of overcomplicates everything because, mm-hmm. because a lot of it doesn't make sense to begin with. Like going back to the demon in the first one, he's, that thing is mysteriously absent, but and maybe I just don't remember the first one too, too yeah. well, but
3: yeah, I thought they'd had to go through a red door to finally get to that guy. Didn't they in the first one? I
0: don't remember. Because I remember, remember. I
3: kind of remember, I remember the red door from the first one. And I remember going through there to get to that black and red demon.
0: I just don't understand where he's at. And, and like, so they did show the woman in the first one and she comes back with him. I guess she possesses him before he gets back into the, the real world, but it's not really her. It's it's her her son dressed up as a woman.
3: Mm. And the and the woman is now because her son is in Patrick Wilson, she's basically sticking around with him.
0: Yeah, and she's so, like give, telling him to kill to kill everybody for some reason. Oh, that was right. another that was the other scene that I thought was really creepy when they moved that bookshelf and there were all those dead bodies sitting yeah, there.
3: Yeah, yeah, and that was the discovery that was bothering me, uh, in the non spoiler section. Um, where they make that discovery of all these 15 to 20 victims all just sitting there, decomposing, and they never after the fact after that discovery they never go back to address that. Right. Everybody who was killed by the the the, the bride the and black is was discovered in the house, and uh, it's like uh, all these all these mystery and it's never once addressed throughout the movie. It's like suddenly they like, oh we found the bodies and then Barbara Hershey and company run off to make their plot to capture. Yeah, Patrick like Patrick wasn't like did anybody not report this to the police? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> when when I was watching this in this theater, my my girlfriend leaned over to me and she's like, "Why are they not calling the police immediately?" <laughs> I was like, "I have no idea. You find 15 bodies in a house, you're calling the cops." Yeah. Right away. I mean like... That that was kind of that was kind of weird.
3: Which is one of the things that I thought was tying into the ending, where in the end I thought that they were right. going to be going door to door with the of the families of mm-hmm. those victims to say we were actually in touch. And then I saw Lynn Shay show up, and I'm like, oh, so that's how they're doing it. They're going to she's talking to the the victims, and they're going to sit over let us set these people these, and like, and then the ending when was like, wait a minute, I'm confused. Just like, who? Because I thought, oh, Allison, that was the girl, one of the girls, and then no, she's sitting there in a wheelchair. I'm like. Wait, what?
0: (laughs) I'm a little lost. (laughs) So it seems like essentially the third, in Cities Chapter 3, is going to be like the Frighteners. It's exactly what it's going to be Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, you could definitely say that. And the two clairvoyants have somebody on the other side, and they're going to be going fighting ghosts on both sides of the fence, I guess you could say. But for me, I probably really could care less about that angle. I'd probably be like, man, whatever. I think it's a cool idea. I, I like for
0: some reason I like movies like that, like Constantine. Like everybody <laughs> hated that movie, but I liked but, it. I liked it. I don't know. I would've,
3: like, I would've liked it more if I wasn't cut out. <laughs> oh, you were in that? I was the the club scene where um Keanu goes through this nightclub to go talk to Jaiman Hansu. Right. Basically there's a whole club scene going on and one one shot I'm literally right behind keanu if he had moved a few inches left or right i would have been right there (laughs) and then i saw but there was an entire sequence that was cut out of the movie it was like a a demon rave essentially there was like makeup effects all over the place and uh like people in ornate costumes walking around with snakes and uh i don't know if you remember matthew mccrory i think his name was Was a really tall guy slightly deformed um, he was in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, and uh, was he the guy yeah. in
0: the original Hills Have Eyes?
3: I don't know. Um, he's a uh, he's a younger guy. I think he was in his thirties. He's passed away since. Uh, but he was a really big guy, and he's if you see his face, you'll recognize him. But he was in it, and I was like talking to him for a while because it was like a bunch of like circus type freaks, or in, in the shot, or like. But he never made it into the movies. So I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that whole scene was cut out. I'm like.
0: Is that but, in the d v d features or something? No,
3: no, not even in the uh bonus content either, so hmm. do you have any final
0: spoilers to add regarding uh insidious um
3: not necessarily except to say it'll be probably beneficial for for you to see the your first one before going to see this one because like me, I totally forgot almost everything in this movie. Hmm. And like I was lost for a while before I started to catch on, and I don't even think I caught on to everything that I should have. But
0: yeah, but. yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and get out of this spoiler section. We are back. Final thoughts on Insidious Chapter Two, Ernie.
3: Um, not being a fan of the first, and really liking The Conjuring, and then this, as I said, this is a step backward, and uh, so this is probably not the kind of supernatural horror you want to see if you love the conjuring it would probably be a good idea to skip this one
0: i would agree unfortunately um i i gave it a five out of ten and, and i f- i feel that that was really generous um just because there were some concepts that i did like and there were a couple scares that i thought were somewhat effective what are you going to mm-hmm. score this out of ten
3: yeah i probably only give it about a four and a half Mostly, for the things that I kind of found interesting in it, if I didn't find anything of value, it probably would have gone four or lower mm. <laughs> but uh, there are a few things in there that I kind of liked okay
0: well, there you have it, probably skip probably skip insidious chapter two normally, with horror movies like this, I say see them, see 'em on the big screen because mm-hmm. when I rewatched in the first insidious um at home, I didn't find it nearly as scary, and I know that. Part of that is just because I already already saw it, but mm. I was like maybe a year removed when I saw it the second time, so I forgot a lot about it. Right. But just watching watching movies at home like that, just you don't get the
3: same effect. But no, not not just that, just also audience too. So. Well, yeah that that's what I was, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I saw the opening numbers was like forty one million, but when I went, the theater is not even half full. So. Well when that I, was when I went, afternoon. So. When I
0: went it was packed. And it was packed with preteen kids. Mm-hmm. And it was the whole time I'm thinking this is gonna be a nightmare because they were all on their phones, they were talking real loud. They kept for some reason they kept getting up and like moving seats and walking down the aisles and leaving and coming back. And I was just like, Oh fuck, this is gonna be <laughs> shitty. But it it didn't it turned out to be fine. With a movie yeah. like that, it's it's okay. So yeah, I would say probably skip Insidious Chapter Two, unfortunately.
3: Yep. Uh probably say wait for the next uh, supernatural movie to come out, and I don't think there is any more this year. <laughs> mm. <laughs> or is there?
0: There's one that we're gonna be covering I think maybe next week, called Dark Touch. Uh, and that's a that's a supernatural movie. I don't know too much about it, but we will have more coverage on that next week hmm. and uh, there might be a couple other ones sprinkled in here and there. I
3: yeah, know there's no paranormal this year, not that I'm waiting for it. no <laughs> no, who cares about that anymore <laughs> That's gonna be uh,
0: bad, but yeah, all right, well, I think that that wraps it up. Ernie, thanks so much for coming back on the show. No problem. All right, let's go ahead and jump into some predictions. Last week we said Insidious Chapter 2, you said 58, I said 52, actual 37. Ouch. Mm. Yikes. The family, you said 36, I said 42, actual 33. Yikes. Hmm. I didn't see the family, but, you know, I just don't care. Nope. Nope. All right, next week we have Enough Said, which is the one with James Gandolfini and Julia Louis Dreyfus. What are you
2: Mm -hmm. thinking? Uh, Enough said. I'm going to go like a 64.
0: Uh, You know, I I haven't heard too much about this. Doesn't look too bad. Looks like a. Could be kind of funny. I'm going to say like 68. Dick. Then we have Prisoners. This is the. I think. Is this the one with Hugh Jackman?
2: Yes. Yes, yes. I, it looked pretty. I, yeah, I can't wait to see this.
0: I think it looked pretty good, but I heard some some mixed things out of TIFF.
2: Yeah, it's it's a little bit bizarre that Villanueva is doing a sort of like mainstream movie. Yeah you, have you have you seen Incendies yet? No. You gotta see that. I don't think so. You need to see that.
0: I'll say seventy six on Prisoners.
2: Seventy six on Prisoners. I'm gonna say
0: seventy. And then finally, we have Battle of the Year.
2: Oh, yeah. What Battle? are you
0: thinking on this one? Oh,
2: man. Battle of the Year. Hmm. I'm going to say like a 46.
0: I'm going to say 32. Mm. Battle of the Year. Limited release. We have Newly Weeds. Okay. I heard, I heard some pretty good things about that. Parkland, I actually want to see that too. A single shot is hitting select cities. Uh, Cog, which is the David Sedaris one. Okay. You a fan of David Sedaris? Uh,
2: I don't. I've never read anything from Sedaris. Never read it. He's pretty funny. Never, never
0: read any Sedaris. Pretty funny. So, eh, I'm mildly interested in it. It looks a little, it looks a little kind of cheesy but i don't know plus one which i also have a mild interest in i spit on your grave two, in select cities after tiller didn't you love that i loved it (laughs) it was oh man so good Uh, after tiller the short game jutopia which we will have a we'll have a review for that one up weekender which we should also have a review up Weekender is, I think that came out like several years ago over in the UK, but it's just coming out this week for some reason. I think it came out like 2011. Wow. It's about the rave culture, like the when the whole rave scene started.
2: Mm. Well, don't you think they sort of missed their opportunity there?
0: It takes place in 1990. Okay. Yeah. It's not a documentary or anything. It's, I know, but... I it, think the, like, the star of it is the guy who plays Cookie on Skins. So um, that's what has me interested.
2: I'm just saying, like, if people are really like, God, I would love to see a rave movie. You remember raving? That was awesome. Let's uh, I do would a, love it. Let's do a rave movie. <laughs> uh,
0: I don't know. It, it got a really... It got like an 8% or something on Rotten Tomatoes. So oh. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be I'll, terrible. I'll, I'm going to tell you I'll right prob- now it's terrible. Well, we'll find out no, next week. Don't, I, don't I think I'm, I might be don't. reviewing it. What's wrong
2: <laughs> with you? <sighs> uh,
0: video on demand for next week, we have Jutopia Plus One, Blue Caprice, COG, and Weekender. So a lot of the stuff that's hitting theaters this week is also coming out on VOD. Okay. Yeah, right. DVD and Blu-ray releases, we have The Bling Ring. Oh, yeah. You going to check that one out?
2: Uh, I really don't want to. I probably will. I probably will. God damn it.
0: Disconnect, which is
2: that looked terrible.
0: Looks like uh kinda looked like Crash. Yeah. But like with the internet.
2: Oh
3: man. <laughs> oh yeah.
2: Uh, we have the East, scenic route. Simon oh by the killer. way, by the way, what what are your thoughts on the East now? Since you're at the week removed. Oh, I, I didn't
0: really I didn't think about it. <laughs> what years. did I say? I don't remember what I said of a five, I'm probably still yeah. say a five. You
2: probably forget everything about it, don't you? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just yeah. Yeah. I don't really remember anything. Exactly. Scenic Root, which I do recommend checking that one out. Simon Killer. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah Actually yeah. We, we did interviews with the director of Scenic Root and Simon Killer. Simon. I would
2: say that's like a light recommend. A yeah, different. I
0: mean it was it was okay. Yeah. It was fine. A little different. And World War Z, which I'd say rent that as well. It's pretty, pretty decent. No thanks. Surprisingly no decent.
2: No thanks. I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Did you well, say Beyond f- the Campbell Opera?
0: Oh, is that? I must have missed yeah. that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's coming out. I want to see that very bad.
0: Yeah, definitely check that one out. That one's good.
2: And the only other one I'm seeing is The We and the Eye, which I thought that came out a long time ago. Uh, that had a really
0: weird. I don't know what happened with that. Like it didn't. I don't think it came out in the states.
2: Mm. At yeah, all. I think. Like, I don't, I don't know. Whatever. That's coming out. So I, I liked, liked it. To see that. I, yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. To finally. I mean, I, out. like.
0: I don't think it's for everyone, but someone that just loves New York stories, I kind of liked it. Nice. I, like Kevin, I don't know if you'll really. That. I mean, essentially, it's just a bus of like high school kids talking. That's pretty much the entire movie.
2: I'm definitely interested. Yeah. I'm ready to go.
0: Criterions?
2: Two Criterions. Uh, Two Blu-rays. First one is Slacker by Richard Linklater.
0: Oh, yeah, I saw this. Bet you're excited for that one.
2: Uh, Slacker happens to be one of my most hated films of all time.
0: I remember when they first came out with the Criterion DVD of Slacker, and I had never seen it. And I'm so excited because this was during the time where we were just in love with Letter. And I ordered it and I got it and it had like a really awesome book with it. And I popped it in and I watched it and I was like, what is this? This is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. The
2: <laughs> acting is so terrible and the camera work is bad. I, uh, I remember I tried watching this. This was during a time where I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna give Linklater a chance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him back into my good graces. I'm gonna go with Slacker. It's supposed to be pretty good. I, th- I think I honestly made it ten minutes, if that. And I, I will never forget. I audibly said out loud to the TV, 'I said, oh fuck you,' and turned it off. That's how
0: angry I was at this film. The interesting thing is, like Slacker, that was like his movie. That's what like. That movie was was like so influential because that was like right when the whole 90s indie scene started mm-hmm. blowing up with Tarantino and Kevin Smith. And like that also kind of put Austin on the map. Mm-hmm. And that was like when Austin started becoming like a big film mecca.
2: And they're staying true to that tradition linked later. Moving on. The second one is Autumn Sonata from uh, Igmar Bergman, 1978. Which is perfect because it's autumn now Yeah there you go So I, I if I had to choose between the two I would go with Bergman Slacker I would maybe buy and burn it
0: <laughs> uh, I feel <laughs> like uh, no, never mind. I, I was going to say I feel like I need to give that one another chance I, But I'm not
2: See there's a part of me that thinks I should do that too But no I'm not going to make excuses anymore Slacker was fucking terrible I hate it and it pisses me off Fuck that movie
0: I, I am going to give you a homework assignment to see the other before before sunset and before
2: midnight. Just
0: I think I can handle this. I just want to know. That'll, that'll know. be the
2: trade-off. I'll watch those yeah. two if I never had to watch or discuss Slacker ever again. <laughs> I think that could be arranged.
0: All right. I think that that'll wrap it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email feedback, filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter, at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam.
2: My name is Kevin.
0: And we will see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie.
2: It just came off as complete bullshit, trite, just fucking terrible.